Happy Friday, Story Fam. I'm so glad to have you here on Friday Grace and Truth. This is Pastor Eric. Hey, I hope you managed to not get flooded out this week by Tropical Storm Beta. As always, though, I will say if any of you are experiencing any kind of hardship or struggle in any form or fashion, I hope you'll let your church know, um, either by way of your small group or um, some leaders on your team or your groups, or uh, even just contacting the church office or a pastor. We want to know so we can be there for each other, as the Bible calls us to. Hey, and last week's Friday Grace and Truth, I actually said that I was going to have some really exciting news to share with you regarding a return to in-person worship at the Story Houston. And I do. <laughs> I'm really excited. After 30 weeks of online-only worship starting October 4th, our 11.05 service is going to be a live and in-person experience. And I could not be more excited about that. Um, Story Kids will also be offering a, a class, one class in the beginning for three to four-year-olds. Uh, during the service, and uh, we'll keep growing from there, you know. Now, we're going to take all the proper protocols, masks required, uh, restricted seating capacity. We won't be passing any offering baskets or serving any coffee or anything, so BYOC. <laughs> Bring your own coffee. And uh, for the foreseeable future, this is the biggie. You're going to have to pre-register your attendance. You can't just show up at the door and expect to get in. We've got to control this situation so that we do this the right way. So I'm putting all the details of how to reserve your spot or your kid's spot in that class uh, into the email version of Friday Grace and Truth. So be sure to check that email. Or if you don't get that email, go to the website, thestory.church, and we'll have all that information there. And obviously, as the 1105 service fills up, um, we'll continue uh, opening up other services for more people. All right, let's get to this week's reflection. The question that I'm dealing with in this week's reflection is, why is the Bible so backward? So, especially on the issues that people care about a lot today, why does the Bible seem so backward? One of the greatest stumbling blocks for non-religious people who are considering Jesus as uh, the center of their life. You know, they're, they're kind of on the outskirts and they're considering making Jesus their Lord. But a stumbling block is their perception that the Bible is backward, especially on the issues that they care most about. So to many people in the world today, the Bible seems backward on women's rights, for instance, or gay rights, uh, things like slavery, racism, climate change. Um, and so the question arises, what are we supposed to do when we encounter something in scripture that seems to us uh, to be deplorable, disagreeable, or seemingly irreconcilable with a loving God. There's a, a leader in my faith tradition, the United Methodist Church, of which the story is, is a part. His name is Adam Hamilton, and he leads the largest United Methodist congregation in the U.S. And he's written, over the years, several books that deal with this very question. And frankly, in uh, many of his books, I've, I've agreed with completely um, since I've been reading them since my conversion in 2013. And uh, in recent years, though, I've noticed a, a little bit of a shift in Hamilton's approach. Um, he's been very open about his struggle to accept parts of the Bible as true, especially sections containing violence and certain sexual prohibitions. He struggles to believe that these were ever God-ordained or God-breathed scripture. Instead of reading the scriptures in their highly gritty context, and uh, trusting the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to speak through even the hard-to-read passages, 
and acknowledging that God, being God, is well within his rights to employ any means necessary to exact justice in pursuit of his greater plan to redeem creation. Instead of doing all that, Hamilton and and many others, frankly, have resorted to explaining away the hard-to-read parts of Scripture as if they never really belonged in the Bible at all. And the only reason to bring this up and discuss it isn't to disparage any one person, Hamilton or anyone else. It's because these ideas are picking up a lot of traction. And so I want to talk about this. One of the, the workarounds that Hamilton suggests um, when reading Scripture is to categorize biblical, category, uh, biblical passages into three broad categories, which he calls buckets. Okay, so if you can envision this as I say it, three buckets. And as we encounter difficult scriptures, we or our church leadership or whoever get to decide which passages go in which bucket. So bucket number one, I call the keeper bucket. So scriptures that express God's heart, uh, his character, uh, his timeless will for us go into the first bucket. So according to Hamilton, most of the Bible belongs here in this bucket. An example of a first bucket passage would be, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, for example. Timeless truth, always the will of God, no question. The second bucket I call the old school bucket. And these are the scriptures, according to Hamilton, that expressed God's will in a particular time and place, but they don't anymore. And Hamilton suggests that most of the Old Testament laws belong in this bucket, since, you know, the early Christians decided in Acts 15 that followers of Jesus were no longer required to follow the letter of God's law, at least not in their totality. So uh, those, those laws were once God's will, but no longer are and belong in the old school bucket, bucket number two. And then there's this third bucket, the throwaway bucket. Um, and in this bucket, uh, scriptures that never fully expressed the heart, character, or will of God um, belong there. So Hamilton claims that some of the punishments prescribed in the Old Testament are too harsh to have ever been handed down by a loving God. He also believes that commands that God gave to Joshua to, to destroy entire cities full of people, leaving no survivors, that they could not have been the will of a good and loving God ever under no circumstances, and so they should go in the throwaway bucket. Now, while I can appreciate Hamilton's passion to engage non-religious people in conversation about the Bible and to keep skeptics within God's orbit by proposing this throwaway bucket, this approach to biblical interpretation is dangerous and it's deeply flawed to suggest that only the passages that we deem acceptable should be considered the Word of God while giving Bible readers a license to discard the unpleasant scriptures seems to me a to be the height of white liberal privilege. If we filled the third bucket with every Bible story in which God called for or allowed the deaths of innocent people, we'd lose a lot more than just a few battle scenes from the book of Joshua. Noah and the Ark, the Exodus, the Passover in Egypt, the Babylonian exile, all gone. In fact, using Hamilton's own logic, one could argue that a loving God could not have allowed his own son to down the cross for our sins, as the whole gospel hinges on that. But it's a blood sacrifice, you know? Would a good and loving God really call for that? 
Hamilton isn't the first person or the only one to suggest disposing of certain parts of Scripture. Throughout history, many others have tried and failed to customize the Bible according to their own subjective wants. In the second century, a wealthy Roman merchant named Marcion fell in love with the message of Jesus, but he grew to despise Yahweh in the Old Testament. So Marcion decided that Yahweh was not the God who sent Jesus, and when Jesus spoke of his father, he was referring to a God higher than Yahweh. So Marcion and his rich Roman buddies started uh, their own sect within early Christianity by eliminating two-thirds of the Bible, and their movement grew for a while. It was very popular. At the height of the transatlantic slave trade, white slave owners wanted to subdue their slaves with religion, but they were also afraid of the liberating power they, that they knew was in Scripture. And so before giving Bibles to their slaves, they removed all the parts that could be used as a rallying cry for freedom. Because the Bible is so rapidly anti-slavery and so pro-freedom, slave owners were forced to remove around 60% of the Scriptures. Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson were said to have employed similar tactics while subduing the Native Americans. To bolster his case for his subjective dismantling of certain scriptures, Hamilton um, quotes the Anglican Church's Articles of Religion, which go back several hundred years, and, and Hamilton, being a good United Methodist, knows our roots are in the Anglican Church. And so this Article of Religion says, Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation. So that whatsoever is not read therein, or, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man, that it should be believed as an article of the faith, or be though requisite, through requisite, or necessary to salvation. Sorry, I butchered that old English there. Now, Hamilton's quick to point out, rightly so, but still quick to point out, that the articles of religion started with God, not with Scripture, and that this statement avoids trying to define the divine inspiration of Scripture, making no claim that the Bible is without inconsistency or without error, and that it was adopted by the founder of Methodism, John Wesley. Curiously, though, Hamilton fails to give his readers the complete picture of John Wesley's understanding of the Bible, the Bible's clarity, the Bible's authority, which could be summarized using Wesley's own words. This is a quote from Wesley's journal. He wrote, If there be any mistakes in the Bible, there may as well be a thousand. If there be one falsehood in that book, it did not come from the God of truth. Or in this shorter, more entertaining quip, another quip from his, uh, from his personal journal, he said, My ground is the Bible. Yea, I am a Bible bigot. I follow it in all things, both great and small. Now, I think that to read the Bible properly is to humbly seek God's heart on every page, the pages that are easy to read and the ones that are not so easy. As countercultural as this might sound, whenever my feelings on an issue are at odds with something the Bible says, I pray that my heart and my mind would stay open to the Spirit of God and that He might give me wisdom to construct my priorities on the foundation of God's Word rather than building my version of the Bible on the foundation of my priorities. When approaching the Bible, we must be willing to ask the most uncomfortable questions. Questions like, what if the Bible isn't backward on the issues? What if I am? In so many ways, the Bible truly is backward when compared to normal secular culture today. The world around us mostly says that wealthy, famous, and powerful people matter more 
than everyday peasants do. But the Bible says God does not show favoritism, and the first shall be last, while the last shall be first. The story of your God dying naked and humiliated on a Roman cross is as backward as it gets, according to this world. So it would seem that it's a story that Christians would be eager to forget. But in the years following Jesus' death, Christian leaders like Paul constantly championed the cross. We preach Christ crucified, Paul wrote, which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. To religious men like Paul, part of what made the cross such a scandal was the Bible itself. Deuteronomy 21-23 says that anyone who hangs on a tree is under God's curse. So if the Bible is true, then Jesus was cursed, technically. That's the reason why Paul preached Christ crucified, which literally means, etymologically means, cursed Savior. Christ is Savior, crucified is cursed. Cursed Savior or damned Messiah. What kind of God allows himself to be cursed? What kind of God could ever be damned? Only Jesus only to God who is love. This God may seem backward to us, but I've learned that it's usually me who is backward. And when you're facing the wrong way, everyone and everything that's facing the right way will seem backward to you. Although Jesus was totally righteous, he chose to carry my unrighteousness. And until I could see that, he was backward, not me. Although he was innocent, he gladly took the cross so the whole world could know that he took our sin, took our shame to the grave with him. And now every curse is broken because God himself was cursed. Every fear is gone because our fear died with him. And because he rose in glory, so will we. So when it comes down to choosing my opinions on the issues or God's eternal truth, I choose the latter. I hope you all have a great weekend. Tune in with us for worship this Sunday morning, 845, 945, or 1105 online. And then again, if you want to join us in person, be sure to pre-register for worship, the 11 o'clock service starting October 4th. Love you all. Take care.